Hi everyone, you're listening to the Vialucci podcast, uncensored and completely unedited discussions about life and everything in it. We hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> oh, Tim Hartness, how are you? Oh, very good. I think before we start, I'm just a sponsor. Hmm. Really thirsty. N- oh, Noble refreshing. water. <laughs> yeah. Refreshing. Well, if you're going to do it, you might as well just do okay. it properly. There you go. Tim, have um, spelled your name right, and that's right. It's H-A-R-K, isn't it? That is correct. Harkness. Um, whenever I hear a surname for the first time, I always wonder where it comes from. Have you looked into the... Have, yes. Anything? Uh, so of, of Scottish origin. Oh, uh, really? On the Scottish border on the uh, west side of the country, originally. Okay. And how, how like, have you got a grandmother that's Scottish or a parent that's Scottish? Uh, how close is it? Well, the, the, the Scottish line is a, a little further away, but my father was born in Manchester, and yeah. my father's family are from Manchester. Oh, okay. Quite a long way back. Okay. And you were born in South Africa? I was born in South Africa, yes. I was, my... was going to say I detected a little accent. Oh, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> well, I was in South, South Africa recently, accent. and I, I passed for South African. Um, <laughs> I, in that I was able to get into South African uh, tourist attractions as a South African and pay a reduced rate. Yeah, oh. So, yes, um, and... Uh, is that legal? <laughs> it doesn't like a South African to... accent. Oh. <laughs> accent uh, test, yeah, you check. Yes, yeah, like, like a little like, yeah. color chart. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. South African. Cut yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like a chart for the accent. Oh, yeah. God. It's, it's okay. Read these words. <laughs> yeah, it's early. Bad, it's though. early. It's early, okay. Um, <laughs> it's not, but I... No, I've got no excuses. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, but before we get going, so we, we've had a discussion. So your your role with Chelsea, what was yeah. the actual role? So my my job title is head of sports science and psychology at, at Chelsea Football Club. Is that that is correct? Wow. Right. So, um, but we did say you're under an NDA, so you can't really talk about anything. So instead of darting around the subject, well, to be honest, I don't know anything about football. So you're lucky. Right. Do you, do you like football? Uh, yes. What team you go for? I sport Reading. Reading. So Reading FC is that yes. the thing? Yes, Reading FC. Reading how how good are they? Uh, they well, they, they stayed up. They they are they they avoided relegation yesterday, even though they lost three 0 away to Hull City. Um, not the finest result, but um, but yes, uh, staying in the championship another season. I thought, don't each team have their own soccer ground? Uh, they have a stadium, yes. But the Chelsea's not that big. Where's where where, what, where where do they play? They play in well, they're kind of near Fulham actually. <laughs> like that's the but they're not actually Chelsea. in Fulham. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Is that yeah, the, yeah. The, it's really close to it, Fulham. It, it was originally a dog racing track. Oh, it started off as a dog racing track. Okay. Uh, had a had a capacity of over a hundred thousand. Oh, okay. Um, and they, for the dog racing, yes, yes, no, dog racing used to be the big. Yeah, sport I didn't think it was that big though. No, it was massive. Yeah, I used to work at a nightclub under a dog um, track. Oh, I can't say anything. Can't tell you in my background. Well, anyway, I can't guess where it was. It, <laughs> uh, oh, it was in Walthamstow. The dog track there there used to be. Right. A, I think it was called Chimes or something. But it's where everyone went. Um, staff. And punters who couldn't get in anywhere else. So if you lost your job, so you'd go. And I can't really say any more than that. Brilliant. Dingy it was. It's like a cave. It's like oh, it's all awful atmosphere. Anyway, um, so <laughs> getting back. Anyway, back on track. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, we we can't really talk about the football thing, but so yeah. um, yeah. So sh- which is obviously there's a lot going on there, but yes, we will uh, bypass yeah. that. Yeah. So um, but uh, yeah, uh, Chelsea doing all right. I suppose you might say. Yeah, know. I mean they're third in the league. Oh, so okay. um, yeah, doing- is Manchester still the big thing? Manchester City. Now. No, the, what do you mean? Not Manchester United. No, Manchester City. There's no Manchester United. Well, in there is Manchester United, but I mean they're sort of un- badly underperforming. Oh, really? I thought Bandog. they were the big. 
they are, but they they spend an awful lot of money, have a very d- decent squad on paper, yeah. have gone through managers every six months here and there. Um, and yeah, massively underperforming really for, for what they are. Okay. Mm. Right, that's football done. I've, I've, I've exhausted Check. anything yeah. I've got. Yeah. Um, so you're an author of the book, uh, uh, 10... A guy, what's it? My dyslexia is kicking in. The ten rules for talking. That's it. Yeah. I had guy okay. in my head. I couldn't get I, it. Out. I would say we had we have the author. <laughs> can ask. No, I had to fight through it. Um, when was it? Twenty twenty. It came out yep. originally. Yeah. So you sort of just got in there just in time. <laughs> well, uh, just kind of at the wrong time to be to be quite honest. Um, you know, just before the pandemic started and lockdown started. So from a publishing point of view, it wasn't great. Right, yeah, okay. But um, in, in terms, terms of friction of, in society. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we were a little worried, actually, because, you know, the, the, when I was writing the book, it was Donald Trump and Brexit that were yeah. two of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was almost thinking, well, you know, w- what happens when that's all over? But, right. you know, I, I shouldn't have worried. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of ammunition. <laughs> plenty so plenty more disasters to come. <laughs> things can get, get worse. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, don't underestimate that, mate. And it's still not over. No, that's what I'm joking. I was thinking, I was saying, I was saying oh, I was, you know, saying, oh, isn't it dreadful? We just come out COVID and we had the war. And I was just like, what next? And I was like, oh, don't you worry. <laughs> next year's going to be. And I was like, don't you worry. I was like, next year. Yeah. Oh, do you remember, do you remember the- that year when all those celebrities were dying? And everybody, yes. everybody's thinking, what a terrible year that was because <laughs> celebrities were dying. <laughs> so, um, well, it, it sounds, it was like when I first, I saw a book on breathing and I went, yep. well, I've done all right so far. And then I read it and I went, oh, actually, I didn't know anything. So it's just, <laughs> no, I mean, and even now, I remember thinking back, there's no way. What do I need a book on breathing for? And then you go, oh, right, because you don't know anything. So you assume everything's fine. Yeah. Um, so but talking, again, another thing you go, well, I'm all right. I know how to talk. Yes. But there's a lot going on, actually, when you look into talking. Um I was talking to somebody the other day, actually, and we were talking he's dyslexic, and we were talking about dyslexia. And he'd actually been through the rigmarole of speaking to the experts and blah blah blah, and going through it and testing and retesting and all that. Mm. And he said some interesting things. And he was saying how they they converse differently because they actually talk in stories and pictures in their head as they're speaking, yeah, rather than bang 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 bang. They, they yeah. tend to speak more in long form, yeah sort of like as i'm doing now <laughs> um yes so i thought oh, okay that that's interesting because yeah, it's different brains speak so, so interesting yeah it, it's fascinating what would offer i'm going to go for weird 10 rules but what would be the the main point is it listening was that me just uh I, I think in a way the main point is the point you were making about breathing is that we all breathe and we're all good at breathing but every now and again there's an occasion when it would be useful to know a little bit more. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're all good at talking. We, we, we can all talk and, and almost all of our conversations are successful. But there are occasionally times when it would be useful to be able to apply a little bit of strategy to it. Yeah. And breathing is something that we do automatically. We do it naturally, you know, and, and we don't really think about it that much. But every now and again, it's useful to breathe in a particular, using a particular technique. Yeah. And I'd, I would say the, the same of talking. Really. Yeah, I spoke to somebody, oh, I'm going go about breathing, <laughs> but um, I said, do you, do you ever do that thing? I said, you'll be, you'll be doing it, whatever, watching TV or whatever. And you suddenly think, I've been taking a deep breath for about an hour. She went, oh God, I do that. She said, <laughs> I actually said, I was thinking, have I breathed in the last time? I don't remember breathing in. But okay, this, this, yeah. book, this book was saying, um, they, to test their point, 
they bunged up their noses for like a month. And after that month, they started having respiratory problems after the two weeks to the point where they had to stop doing it wow. just because they covered the nose. But you think they're sort of going and going, no, 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 you don't realise how much is being cleaned. So they bunged up the nose and after two weeks they had to stop because they were having respiratory problems when they were asleep. In fact, somebody died, I think it was in America, where a woman, as a joke, bunged up her husband's nostrils and he suffocated in the sleep. Like wow. he was obviously getting a lot more yeah, air through yeah, his thing, yeah. just passed yeah. out in his sleep. Um, anyway, it's breathing. So talking. Um, so what's the biggest issue then? What What is the biggest issue with people talking? Well, I... Or conversing, I should say. I, I, I think in a way, they're two. So, so the one is this idea that a conversation has to be safe. And... And then the second, and I'll, I'll maybe yeah. try and say a little bit more about them, is a conversation has to be effective. So okay. the, the idea of a safe conversation is the idea that um, people feel respected. Um, and respect is a really interesting thing in human society and human culture because success is actually fundamental to our it, – it, it, it's actually fundamental. We're social creatures. Um, belonging to a society is essential to our survival. And respect is essential to belonging to a society. So actually, while people might think, well, you know, respect, it's a bit of a wishy-washy issue. As human beings, we, we experience it as something essential to our survival. And we take it very, very seriously. So when we feel that we're not being respected, um, it, 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 it's something that requires immediate attention. Yeah. Um, so in a conversation, it's extremely important that there is a sense of respect amongst people. And there's also a sense, uh, w something also that, that is essential to safety is that we feel that, um, that our agenda also is shared. So, you know, our agenda. Yes. <clears throat> so, you know, right now it's relatively easy, you know, just as it's easy to breathe right now, it's relatively easy for us to have mutual respect. You know, we, we haven't, you know, come into any particular sense of conflict. You know, we all seem basic level of competence and, and that kind of thing. And we also feel that we have a shared agenda here, which is to, um, you know, to, to communicate and share ideas and share thoughts and, and hopefully have a good time. Um, you know, a little while ago, I was feeling a tiny bit anxious. Are we going to be talking about football? Because that's not a shared agenda, you know, mm. and, and, and that would have edged the conversation into slightly out of safety. Um, but that's the one requirement of a conversation is that it's safe. And the funny thing is when a conversation is safe, when we feel mutually respected and when we feel that our agendas are shared, we can actually talk about tough stuff. You know, we, we, we could actually, you know, criticize each other or, um, or, you know, raise quite sensitive issues as long as we have that feeling of mutual respect and mutual uh, yeah. purpose. I, I hear this, um, I hear the phrase, uh, good faith used a right. lot in online discussions and online okay. debates and right. political things. Um, and this is constantly a term people are often accused of people of not being, of not arguing or discussing things in good faith. Right. In that they are not, um, they are often that is the case of people talking past each other. Yeah. You know, they're like yes. people talking uh, at someone, uh, uh, not addressing the point, not, not having a discussion between one or two people or whatever, between, but having a discussion between you and the audience. So you're not, yes. we're not having a discussion. We were, we were having a debate about whatever, pick a topic. Yeah. Um, uh, Brexit. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, we, you're, we're pinging points back and forth, but I'm not really engaging with your points. I'm sort of doing points and bigger, bigger points to a, a perceived audience behind you. Right. Um, yeah. 
So you're just you're you're doing a speech in effect. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah, regardless. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a tennis match. It's just me knocking the ball at you and yes. hoping to knock you. It's not. It's not a conversation. It no longer becomes a discussion or a conversation yeah. or a debate or whatever. It becomes you um, uh, standing on a soapbox, um, yeah. sort of. And uh, you've lost that mutual purpose. You know, you yeah. you and, and and there is, you know, there's a classic hidden agenda there. That the, the agenda is not what is supposed to be agreed between the two of you in terms of trying to resolve something or trying to work something out you're actually not trying to come to agreement in that yeah. conversation you're just whistling to someone behind yeah yeah and that's why typically i think a lot of online discussions and online debates don't necessarily um work uh, well they're not necessarily productive in that they produce any any kind of coherent end product to be honest they just immediately go downwards it's just <laughs> um, because they are lecturing to yeah, their they're right. lecturing to their own audience they're yeah. lecturing a bit to the audience of possibly the person they're discussing with or whatever and they and it is you know they're 40 40 20 you split you possibly have 40 percent of people of the audience on your side 40 percent on the other side you maybe have 20 percent in the middle who are undecided and you're possibly talking to those people yeah, yeah. well i i've said before because I did security for a lot of time with nightclubs and things. And because I did it for so long, it warps your personality. So, and then you couldn't separate between no daytime normal people and nighttime drunk people. So what would happen is it took me years. Sorry, I'm not going to say anything. It took me years to unpick, which was a proactive thing I had to realise, yeah. to not batter people down verbally, whether it's in Tesco's or a nightclub. Yeah, And there was a, I, when I actively chose to move into a, a different world, mm. I remember having to, as people started talking to me, having to actively think, listen, don't do like, because I, I, your brain's trying to go at them. Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought it'd take, I thought it's going to take forever because it's like when I started talking to people, I'm in my head, I'm saying, right, listen, listen, go, well, that's it's too much friction here. Mm. But then it, after about a year, it went away. And then I would listen more than anyway. And I met a guy in America and uh, he's involved with business. And um, he said, oh, anytime he has to deal with anything, if it's, if it's something to do with HR or investments or anything like that, he said, I, I actively say nothing. He said, I want them to want me to speak. Mm. He said, that, uh, whatever you've got to say, so tell me about the thing, whatever, and just sit there until they've got nothing. Let them, he said, I want to wait for them to want me to say something because then it's like a, I'm inviting you in rather than the thing because I've noticed in conversations, um, it, 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 like egos get involved, but it, it can happen so slight, but then really quick because if somebody else isn't more mature than you, they then back, back a little bit and then you bite against that and it just goes <laughs> boom, 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 down. Um, and I had, I had heard of you, you'd spoke about ego before, the thing of ego getting involved in the way. And I think it's, it's an underplayed thing. Like we are apes and it, we don't know that we're, you know, it, we don't know when friction comes up. Yeah. You always need that one person that's much more mature to stop. Because I know people that you think, talk to him not, why are you talking rude? Because if I say to if somebody talk to you like that, yeah. that would end up in a fight. You're relying on people being nicer than you to let you get away with the way you talk to people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ego in conversations. Is there any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think the one thing is, which is interesting, is, is you saying you, you consciously Change. I had to do it, right? yeah, and and that is that is a strategic element to a conversation. So you know, as and and one of the themes of the book is this notion that we can talk fast and we can talk slow, and it, and it's borrowed from Daniel Kahneman's idea of thinking fast and slow. That as human beings, we've got this automatic, instinctive um, uh, 
reactive way of thinking, which is appropriate in some circumstances. And, you know, in the work I do with sport, if you're a, a batsman, for example, and someone's bowling a cricket ball at you, you want to be using reactions and instinct. You don't want to be using anything yeah. else. Um, but then what, you know, what makes us different from animals is that we've also got the slow thinking where we're strategic and, and calculating and deliberate and, and we're good at spotting errors. And so what you were doing is you were actually using that part of your uh, thinking ability to say, okay, let's set this conversation in a particular way. And of course, as human beings, and it comes back to, um, to this notion of respect, and ego is a fascinating concept because many people who claim not to have an ego just have the luxury of not having their status threatened. Yeah. So I can kind of walk around all day and say, well, I've got no ego, but no one's coming up to me and challenging my status. Right, yeah. So lucky me, rather than me being a you know totally well-rounded human being or whatever. And it's quite different for someone who's operating kind of on the fringes of whatever group he needs to get into and feels that that status that he does have is potentially going to be threatened. It's much harder for that person to work without an ego. Right, yeah. Interesting. It's like a, a virtue is, is no virtue unless tested. Yeah? Like yeah. ego is yes. no ego unless yes. tested. You know what I mean? So you can be a good person. I am a good moral person and I am, you know, great this and that. And then Everything's comfortable. Uh, it, it, it's perfectly, it's very easy to do when things are going well and, and you don't have to make these big decisions or suddenly get put in a really difficult situation yes. and then that's when it's tested, yes. you know. Yeah. But to go back to your point, which resonated with me when you moved out of uh, nightclubs, um, because I had a similar experience coming out of South Africa because South Africa, a high crime rate. And one of the things you, you start to do, particularly if you're the father of a family, is just about anybody you meet is assessed as a threat, yeah. as a physical threat. And this you know, takes up quite a lot of your attention. We were walking around in public. Every single person you walk past is assessed as a threat. Um, they're watched very carefully to see any strange movements yeah. or risky kind of movements. Um, and I had the same experience after I'd been in the UK a couple of years. I was actually standing at the bottom of a, uh, a staircase of people who were getting off a train and they'd walked over, you know, those, how, the, how the, the, the bridge goes over the railway line. They were all coming down. Yeah. And, and I was standing at the bottom and every single person who walked past me, I was assessing him as a threat. And I suddenly thought to myself, you don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, it, it took some time and it yeah. was this tremendous feeling of relief because all of this energy that I was putting into, um, you know, d d assessing risk, actually I could be spending on other things. Yeah. It, it, it is weird. Sometimes it, it's, I, I, I call it sort of background. It's like background radiation. It, it like, I think some things like that, it's like background stress. Mm. And it's kind of there, always there in the background. Sometimes you have these things and you, it's like having an ache in your knee or whatever. And it's always there and, you, and it's always aching. And you, you, have yeah. and you just kind of get on with it and you just get used to it. Yeah. And then one day the ache goes and you go, oh. <laughs> Why am I still limping? <laughs> no, you go, oh, that, I, I'm not, what's, what's wrong? Oh, I'm not in pain anymore. Yeah. And, you, and you go, oh, that's, that's strange. And, and you go, oh, I, I didn't realise how much of a thing that yeah. was and yeah. how much it was how kind of affected. Yeah, and, and even little things, little little worries yeah. here and there, they add up. And I think that yeah. that background stress is just that. And sometimes that just goes and you go, oh, I didn't realise that was yes. that was such a pressure Worrying. on me. You know, yeah. and, and I think to bring it back to ego, um, that we we can sometimes perceive threats to our ego where they are not threats to our ego. Yeah. And it's that judgment that can be very liberating and can, can give us a sense of, ah, oh, so I don't actually have to defend my ego. Mm. You know, I, I don't have to protect myself. <clears throat> 
and and that can give you just headspace to you know spend where you would choose and 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 that's where, where were you from in south africa i was from durban so i'm, I'm surprised that because when did you say you come here 13 years ago that's correct and it was that big of it there was that much crime that it was actually built into your system yes. to like really well you know the the, the property my mother had multiple break-ins right. um, in in her house. Um, I, I said to a friend recently, he was talking about a street fight here in England, and I said in in, in England and South Africa, street fights are different things, um, because in England a street fight is you know guys it's falling out of a pub. Yeah, you know it, 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 that's a lot of shouting, a lot of carrying on, yeah, a few, yeah. few fists. Th- that's right. not yeah. what it is. Um, and and in fact, the, the property that I lived in, we had five neighbours. Uh, we lived in that property for four years, and in the in the time of those four years, every single neighbour had an armed robbery in their house. An armed robbery. People well. coming oh, into their house with guns. Really? To them up. So, so that was kind of the, the yeah, background. Yeah. And you, that, you'd been there from a young kid? You'd I was born known, in South Africa. Yeah. But I mean, the, you, you'd sort of known the crime like that well, mainly. Well, I mean, remember as a, as a South African, I had a bizarre upbringing in that I grew up under apartheid. So, uh, you know, apartheid, um, it, it, it's kind of hard to believe yeah. even looking back but you know my mom actually put a bunch of our old cine um, family movies onto YouTube and I was watching it and I was thinking you'd think we were living in Sweden you know they're just right, all these yeah. little white kids <laughs> with blonde hair running around <laughs> and you can't see a black kid anywhere and, and that's how the right. system was designed you know it was actually illegal to be friends with black people because yeah, when you were talking about that before we started, I still think of that as like a hundred years ago. It yeah, doesn't no, seem right that you're sitting here talking well, but, about. And so many times when I tell people, and this is why I actually like to tell the story, because this is living memory. You know, yeah. This is, I was eighteen when it all started to shift. It's a you know, forty percent of my life I spent living in this um, legally like racist country. <laughs> yes, you know, I'm, it, you know, and, and it's so recent, and it, and it, it's a valuable experience for me because. You know, the people that I grew up with, the white people who, you know, d- d- tolerated, approved of, benefited from apartheid, um, were not different. They're just normal human beings. Yeah. And, it, and, and it shows the risk that normal human beings can end up tolerating or participating in really atrocious yeah. forms of society. Yeah. I, I said people just can slot in very easily into yes, these different yes. societies. You it's know. a danger. Yeah. I, I I said uh, I'd listened to um, uh, the Will Smith autobiography which came out recently, okay. and he, he interesting. He, <laughs> he um well yeah, yeah, yeah it was just yeah. before topical, the thing yeah, yeah. Topical. um <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't trust the media when did the book come out just was it around yeah. no it was it was before <laughs> well you uh, think this is his book part of his book tour <laughs> I'm trying to think yeah. was it. <laughs> <laughs> was it not going well? <laughs> yeah. Have I missed something here? The thing is, you can't put nothing. I mean, I know, sir, but you, I don't put nothing past them. I don't put any. Anyway, um, but he talks about when they went to film um, uh, Ali, and they want to. They went to film it in South. They filmed some stuff in South Africa, and um, it was weird because they wanted to use locals rather than ship all the Americans over because you know Ali film and all that sort of thing. Um, and he said it was, it was quite clear that a lot of people that were in the technical departments were the white, come from white people, and a lot of people that were doing a lot of things were black people. Mm. And then something happened where there was um, the uh, one a young black boy that was working on the set had used the toilet and he urinated on the the, the, the toilet rim, whatever you call it. Mm. And one of the white people had gone in afterwards, seen it, gone and grabbed the young black boy, dragged him back, then cleaned the toilet with his head. 
and this is on a film set. Wow. So all hell broke loose. Now that that is a, a, a scummy thing to do, but, but I it mean, was, it, was, it isn't like let's be let's be honest, lads. That's not the first time I've seen that. Like <laughs> you know, using a public toilet, it's yeah, yeah. it's not great, but it's it's a thing that some dudes do. But, I don't know why. But it was it was the reaction. I think, I think to get back at society for something. I don't know. But the, the reaction of when so the obviously you think uh, Will Smith well Will Smith bodyguard heard about it. He started having to go at this other bloke saying try and make me wash my do my head and blah blah blah. Then Will Smith heard. Then the director come over and said what's going on, and then it sort of split because the 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 the, the I think the the, the white people working on the film were unionized mm-hmm. and the blacks weren't and blah blah blah. Anyway, so they said um. What they they said like like right, it started to get like it was going to get violent like it was threats, um, so he pulled the main people in, and Will Smith was basically saying like who the f do you think you are you're going to blah 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 calling them all sorts of names and the guy's defense was like you Americans you bandy well you bandy about the word racism you you come over here you don't really understand I was thinking you've wiped the guy's face on the toilet what do you mean you don't understand the way things work over here um and he gave them the opportunity so they said they said like well if one of us go we're all leaving and then your film's knackered so then um and he said we were like no we would have been knackered because you know what halfway through shooting and whatnot and then he said it was weird because it was sort of a I was thinking about Ali himself and what he faced mm. and the what he thought what would he do and he said no the, the film's about Ali and now this thing's popped up where I'm literally being given a choice of something horrendous happening mm. and what do I do and he said that was the end of it yeah he said no he said alright do what you want to do he said that him and the director used their own money to ship everyone over from America he said okay got along. I think there's like 21 or 22 people in the white sect about 18 of them, I think, disappeared and a few of them stayed. And then they took out their wages. They just shipped the lever people from America and put them up and did the film that so, way. So they called their bluff then, kind of thing. Yeah. Just like, all right, then. But he it. said it was the yeah. moment he just, Ali suddenly popped into his head. I'm making a film about Mohammed Ali. Now this choice has come up. He said, yeah, of course. No, no matter what. You can't have a film with right. that hanging over it based on this. Yeah. Um, and even then I was thinking, wow, like talking to you about like your experience, thinking, I thought that was you know, documentaries in the, in the, no, it still yeah. goes on. You know, it, Yes, I mean, uh, the, the fact that I grew up in a country where um, there were different public benches yeah, for white and black people, uh, toilets, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, it, it is bizarre. Um, but also, you know, it, it, it's, it is a country that negotiated peacefully a handover of power. Yeah. And that is remarkable and that is unique. Yeah. Hmm. And one of the, the strange things about um, South Africa is that even though there was um, – all of this legal separation between white and black people, um, all white people grew up with black people. And, you know, partly because of economic inequality, you would have black people in your home. And a lot of white babies were carried by a black woman. And and I think that in some ways, strangely, and, and it's wrong, you know, it's wrong that people should be economically disadvantaged to the point where their labor can be used to care for children that are not their own. Yeah. Mm. But one of the strange effects of that is that there is actually this closeness um, that I think doesn't always exist in other countries. So I think white people and black people and, and Asian people in South Africa have in some ways lived closely together and yeah. do know each other and understand each other. And, and 
I think that's not always the case in other countries where some people have no experience yeah. of other cultures or other races. So we are a multicultural country or a multiracial country. And, and I think that is a strength for us. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. part of how we did. Now, look, there's still a lot of problems, yeah. but it's part of how we did manage to. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to say something? Um, well, I was going to say, yes, that I, I do feel that some um, uh, cultures are quite segregated. Just, and, and that's more, that, that is a, a, a part, of, I think it's a part of economic segregation. Because I feel that there are some places, I look in some places, this is an outsider's perspective, but some places in America, I feel, you could live and die in a suburb somewhere of a very big city and never really mix with anyone who's not just basically a mirror image of yourself. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to be wealthy, middle class, comfortable with a profession, blah, 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 and two kids and, you know, nice house. And I do think that there is a bit more of a, a sort of e less less economic segregation, I think, in this country. I mean, there are areas where um, there are rich areas and there are poor areas and there are <clears throat> areas where people don't necessarily mix mix. But I mean, I think our big cities are, are, are diverse and I, I don't understand where. I don't know. I don't understand people getting funny about different groups, about getting funny about gay people or whoever. Group X, because I'm just like, I don't know. Haven't you been on a bus? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, haven't you had a job? You know what I mean? Like, they're just people. You know, they just I, I, you just get to, they're just there and you just get to know them and they're just doing their thing. They're just on the bus to work and they're just doing the job and they're coming back and they're at the shop. You know, I, I, I listened to a comedian. Um, uh, she, oh, was that? I forgot her name now. But anyway, she um, she grew up really poor. Like, I can't remember where it was in America. Like, really, like anyway, her story was she said it was she up till ten years old. She didn't know white people actually existed. She thought they were just in the TV mm. until, like, she got older. She saw, a, um, I think it was a council worker or somebody came around who was white. She said, I, I had no idea because in their area, it was so impoverished. Mm. And it was out in the sticks where, you know, you drive for miles. And even though they've got nothing, they've got these huge, like, wooden houses. She said, 10 years old, I didn't know white people. I thought they were just in the TV. I, I had a girl say, tell me that once. And I got really, I, I, a couple of years In ago, England? Yeah, in, Eng in London. What do you mean? She, she's like, oh, I haven't seen, I haven't like, like spoke to a black person, a white, oh. uh, sorry, a white person for like three years. And I'm like, and I was like, I, I don't believe you. <laughs> I was like, where do you live? I was like, where Not do you in live? in England. Yeah. And she's like, well, I live in Hackney. And I'm like, oh, that's, I was that's like, mental. sod off. Yeah, I was yeah. like, honestly, sod off. Like, yeah. there's plenty of white people there. Right. <laughs> like, what, 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 have you not left your bedroom or something for yeah, three years? I was like, come on, man. Right, let's get yeah, off the race topic. Yeah. Um, so, well, I what... was just starting to bubble up in, in terms of, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. just get to the good stuff. Of <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, you know, and maybe we can come back to it, you know, because now we're actually starting to generate some heat in this conversation you know right. that that some of us are now well all of us have have some opinions here that we're invested in um and suddenly this conversation is starting to become a little more complex because <laughs> there may be some disagreement and this disagreement is not trivial disagreement um because it's touching on issues of identity issues of value issues of uh, fairness uh, and issues of fact um, so, you know, it, it was beginning to emerge as an interesting, uh, um, you know, test case almost. What, um, so your, your psychology, where did it all start? Like, what was you doing after school? What, what was your education? Uh, so I, I, I initially did a, a BSc in biology 
Um, so uh, that involved uh, environmental biology. Um, we we participated in studies on um, elephants, actually, um, originally, and and then I, I moved into psychology and and studied baboons. Um, that, that was my master's. What was you studying in elephants? What was that? What was the... uh, well, elephants in South Africa at the time. Um, the elephant breeding programs were going so well that some uh, reserves were actually overpopulated with elephants. Right. And they needed to move those elephants, but the problem was that they didn't have the technology to move adult elephants. Right. So they would slaughter the adult elephants and move the baby elephants. Oh, Jesus. Well, absolutely. And and this was now a new uh, scenario because at the time people didn't realize how extremely social elephants yeah. are and how essential adult elephants are to yeah. the successful upbringing of yeah. baby elephants. Yeah. So we were we were not, not looking at anything as dramatic as that. We were looking at the effect of um, of the elephants on the, the vegetation. But what has happened subsequently is that those elephants have many of them have grown up to be rogue elephants, right? And are doing things that elephants just normally wouldn't do, right? Um, so because oh. they haven't been brought up in that social structure, okay. It seems strange that they wouldn't know that. We're going to get rid of the parent. <laughs> and, yeah. And the kid will be fine. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's not sort <laughs> it's of just the elephants. Yeah. I suppose, I suppose lots of animals do do that. Lots of animals, you know, the, as soon as the kid base, as soon as the, the, the yeah. baby, whatever, like as soon as it gets able to just, to sort of potter about by itself, the mum goes, right, you're on, you're on your own. You know, yeah, so yeah. after we've shot your parents with machine gun from a helicopter, yeah, this isn't the, <laughs> this isn't the 1600s. You can't say that doesn't work past 100 years ago. Um, anyway, so what happened then? You went to uh, psychology. That's correct. Yes, Any so. specific psychology? Or? Well, well, I, I was kind of someone found out that I had a one of my psychology professors found out that I had a background in biology, so he got me into studying baboons. Oh, right. So yeah, I, I spent uh, some time studying baboons in the Drakensberg Mountains. Um, and then, you know, qualified as a, a counselling. Hold on, hold on. That You skipped over that. What did you find out from the baboons? What do we not know about them that we... So the baboons, it was brilliant. And, yeah. and I actually just recently saw a study which was doing something similar to what I did. But now they just put GPS collars on all right, the baboons yeah. and they can tell where they all yeah, are. cheating. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> in my day, yeah. um, I had to follow them around, um, oh, really? you know, which was really good fun. But w what we were looking at is... Um, basically where they all uh, positioned themselves in the troop. Oh, right. But what you found in, in a game reserve where there were predators is that the males tended to occupy the periphery. The big males tended to occupy the periphery. And where I was studying them, it was a mountain range, but there weren't any big predators. Right. We wanted to see if they positioned themselves differently. And the theory that we came up with is that the males positioned themselves to show off. And... Um, yeah, yeah, shocking, shocking. Yeah. Are we talking about humans? <laughs> I know, I know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that, that's the back. <laughs> so that's all I've got from that. Okay, right. We squeezed everything out of that one. Right, so on to next, and the human beings pop up now. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. so then then I, I qualified as a counselling psychologist, um, and I can't remember how old I was. Is this, you're in South Africa still? That's correct. Yeah. And I, I was 26, 27. Okay. And, you know, who wants to see a 27-year-old? psychologist yeah, yeah nobody yeah. and uh, you know and, and um in some ways fair enough so you know the practice was pretty quiet um and <laughs> you know it's a bit stressful from a from a financial right. point of view um and and but but i did have the opportunity of of working with real normal people yeah. for quite a long time I, I worked in a private practice for 13 years um and and began to move into sport 
partly because I loved sport and have always been interested in it, and also partly because, you know, a 27-year-old sports psychologist is a little more sort right, of acceptable yeah, yeah, yeah. than a 27-year-old yeah. counseling psychologist. Um, so I gained some experience there. Um, and that was, you know, 13 years of, of practice in South Africa. Um, and then, you know, just through a, a fairly sort of random set of events, got offered a job here um, and and took it. And So it's a funny thing to be a sports psychologist because you're not, it's not like you're dealing with secondary school children. You're dealing with people that are at the top of the game anyway. Sometimes, yes. Oh, so, okay, okay. <clears throat> so you're dealing with people that sort of above the norm anyway psychologically to have got where they've got to yes. so what do you find is there a general theme of what are the main problems tend to pop up is it like overworking is it over is it something what what would you be called in for the, the overworking is a part of it yeah particularly in some sports yeah uh, you know so cricket for example is a very really? tough to, mentally a very tough sport because you're living in hotels so much of the time so the outskirts of the sport yeah, yeah. is, is you, you know so, so some you know because it can last a month that's it? right like a test oh, match it's yeah. really really tough you know i mean I, I i went over and spent some time with um with one of the teams in the ipl in 2019 and and you've got this strange thing on on the one hand you know any elite athlete is probably his family's hero yeah so he's grown up and he's always been the star you right. know like when he was five he was the best and six and seven and all of that and he's always been the hero. And then he's probably met his girlfriend or his wife and, and he was the hero as well. And she's always looked up to him. And suddenly he's found himself away from home in a hotel for six weeks. Um, his sleep cycle's gone out of sync because he's just indoors all the time. And he's not exposed to yeah, daylight. Yeah. And he's suddenly feeling really down and, um, and phones home and, and they don't really understand it because they think, well, you know, you're supposed to be having a brilliant time. Right. Um, so... So, yes, so it's not actually about the sport. It's a, the psychology of the person who happens to be a sports person. Sometimes. Oh, I mean, sometimes okay. it's very specific. Oh, okay. You know, so, for example, you work with a golfer, you know, and, and sometimes it, it, it's so specific that you're, you're, you're trying to teach an individual how to operate their own body. Yeah. Because it goes back to the breathing thing, you know, that we all know how to breathe. We all know how to work our own bodies. But when thoughts start to intrude, what happens then? And how do you manage that situation? Because under pressure, thoughts are going to start to intrude. Yeah. Um, and and so on on the very kind of specific level, you're trying to teach somebody to operate their own body precisely and powerfully um, in the face of obtrusive thoughts. Right. And you're trying to teach people how to push those thoughts to one side and retain their full level of skill and talent and power. Um, and then right on the other side, you may be having a conversation about fatigue or lifestyle or, right, yeah. you know, relationships. Or, and you know. is, is there a general few things that seem to pop up with people that are at the top of the game? Uh, or is it always individually? It's an, always an individual well, they're, thing. Or they're, or they're common. You're saying they're yeah, common. Yeah, like something of, that's, um, like I said, oh, they tend to overwork or they tend yeah. to overthink or they tend to, you know, is there something generally that tends you know, to pop up? What, what I, I mean, I, I remember watching the, the, the French tennis open like when I was a teenager and asking myself that question, mm. you know, what does it take to get to the very top? Yeah. And um, do, do you have to be like crazy in some way? You know, do you have to be obsessed and ruthless and, you know, unkind? Or do you have to be a fairly well-rounded person? And um, and it's the second. You know, generally these people are very resilient, well-rounded, extremely social, um, and extremely intelligent. You know, yeah. and and there's this there's this kind of myth that you know athletes are the the dumb jocks, um, but 
sport is a contest with another human being mm. and almost all sport is geared in a way that you're trying to outsmart somebody like playing chess sort of it, in, yeah. in a way you know the, 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 there's always a tactical element to it that's terrible I, my first thought was like playing video games online against against <laughs> another against another person well that too you know <laughs> it's where chess of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like yeah because it's like that extra bit you're not just playing against a computer there's actually a, a someone else being. over there shooting at you and, right. you, and they're doing they're weird stuff they're doing weird erratic and they're behaving you know in a non-sort of um yeah logical way possibly just to try and freak you you know what i mean they sort of but that is yeah. it yeah that's what it is it's that, it's that weird human variable yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was listening to somebody who's talking about bodybuilders and he's he's oh god in his 70s now in the states and he was saying he said if if he said unless you're completely genetically gifted and it's just going to happen anyway he said um he said you have to understand these bodybuilders he said there's no off switch they're, they're the type of people you're up against so unless you've got that, you know that there's no off switch inside you. You need to know there's something wrong with these people because they, they, they will never get to where they're trying to get. So it's just relentless. It doesn't stop. They don't think about anything else. It's just all consuming. I said, unless you've got that, mm. then there's no point because that's the type of people you're up against. They're never going to get where they're getting. So they've, they're constantly redlining. Just go, 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 go. Yeah. yeah. I'm sort of like I was talking to somebody a while ago about celebrity culture, talking about acting and things like that. You go, You've got to understand some of these people. It's not ambition with some of these people. There's a sort of hollowness that they're trying to fill up. And you're up against people that will never be able to fill that hole. So that everything is absorbed by just go, 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 fill, fill the hole, fill the hole. Uh, work 20-hour days. I don't care. Spend all my money. Sod family. Sod this. I'm just trying to be famous, trying to be famous. So you're up against them. So if you're like half reasonable, you've got a problem because these people are like, their whole life is obsessed with this thing that they're never going to get. They're never going to be able to fill that hole up. It wasn't, I'm, I'm ambitious. It's, there's something wrong with me and I'm trying to fill that hole up with this thing that I'll never get to. So those people, you're up against those type of people. Um, but I'm surprised you said with the, the sports thing, I thought, I thought it'd be the same sort of thing. Yeah. But you said, no, when you're up against another human being, you've, you're now thinking about what's happening and I've got to react to that. It, it, and, and I suppose some sports are not like that. Yeah. You know, not all sports are human intelligence against human intelligence. And I, I think some sports would lend themselves more to obsession. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, if you take track cycling, for example, if you're a, a sprinter who's just got to sprint 60 seconds, yeah. well, you know, even in track cycling, for example, you know, it eventually comes down to a, a person versus person. And yeah. then there is this intelligence element to it. Um, but I think there are some sports like the endurance sports, which lend themselves to that sort of obsessive yeah, like nature. marathon run or triathletes, you go... That's not like you're going out for a run or a swim. That's like well, so it's maybe, days. maybe sort of weightlifting is something compared to weightlifting because that way you, it's just you versus the weight. So you know what I mean? Yes. And other people can do it, but it's mostly mostly on you to do the weight, yeah, you know, to yeah. do that action. Well, this fellow's talking about the bodybuilding. He said it's because it's like body dysmorphia. That's all it is. Yeah. No matter what they see, it's not good enough. So they have to be back there tomorrow, back there yeah. tomorrow. Back, and they're never going to get there. And you're up against somebody that's got that mindset. You're just thinking, I want to be get some money. You go, no, no, you're people that got a mental condition, so they're just like relentless. And oh. and in a way, you know, the 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 celebrity culture could also be this sort of dysmorphia that, that yeah. you you're continually underestimating how popular you are, or, yeah. you know, or who actually, you know, how popular you should be, or who cares about you. Yeah. So so sure, you know that that thing can creep in, and and I think that can that th that is a corrosive effect of yeah. being famous. And losing the connection to, you know, those people that actually know you and care about you, yeah. you know, for sure there, there is that. 
but I, I think in in <clears throat> not all sports are like that. You know, yeah. I, I think a lot of sports are where actually you need to be healthy. You know, even if you're a marathon runner, you need to rest. You you can't run yourself yeah. to death. So so that rest requires, um, you know, you to calculate that and reflect on it and and do it properly. Mm. Um, what would be is there a general thing that seems to be with footballers because it's it's not too bad you're going home at the other the in the end of the day you're not sort of like off what would be are the things that pop up with footballers that tend to be more than anything else yeah I'd, oh you still can't oh, okay, right, okay, okay okay yeah yeah fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, no but, but i think yeah I, I think um it's interesting to see i always think it's interesting to see on a pitch when a player makes a mistake and that can lead to a goal. Like, so, so they, you know, literally give the ball away in their, yeah. you know, in their box or whatever, their own box. And then the, the yeah, opposition striker just knocks it in. And it's interesting to see how play, I always think it's really interesting to see how players react to that because um, it's very easy to hide. And a lot of people still do that. And a lot of people sort of, uh, you know, they pretend to sort of, oh no, they pretend to sort of be open and look, you know, ask for the ball, but oh no, oops, I'm not really open. So they sort of hide a bit. Here and there, but then it's always impressive. Like, like the striker who misses ten really good chances and then buries the one, the eleventh. I think that's always really interesting. Yeah. yeah, just to keep on going, even if they're having an absolute, absolutely yeah, not to carry the burden. Absolute of what's rubbish gone wrong. game and everything's yeah. bouncing off their shins, and you know they're just flailing about. It's <laughs> just to do you keep ever, on. Do you going. ever do any sports? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I go for I go e-sports, for sports. Yeah, anything <laughs> online? Are you a, a fantastic online footballer? <laughs> I I I used to play a lot of Call of Duty like years ago, right. back in the day. Um, I'm not sure war is a sport, but mm, well, not unless okay. you're in America. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think so. Lots of countries probably. Yeah, I was, I was listening to something the other day, and they were talking about. Oh God, what was it? I can't remember. Who it was now, but they were saying how why America's so good compared to everyone else, and they said it's sort of like with like the Romans. They said it's not just the hardware that we've got which is a big mm. obviously a big thing they said it's like rome it's just we've got the money to relentlessly play games like we're basically going to war every day all the planes are up a lot of countries can't afford that yeah. but he said we're constantly doing that he said because the thing is what they've known is that um you can't teach being able to fight in a battle you can only because he said no matter what you're taught everything just goes to shit so, so you can only teach people to react to not knowing what's going to happen. And you can only do that by just war games, war games every day, send the jets up, send the, the Navy against the seal, send it. And just, he said, that's where they become specialized because they, they can afford to do right. that all the time. I, I just, I just hope they don't show the government that footage of the tank uh, of the, sorry, the tractor dragging that Russian tank oh, away yeah. sideways because yeah. that might give some people ideas. Hmm, I'm not I know where we should be investing in the future <laughs> tractors. Yeah. I'm not sure that made onto Russian TV. <laughs> um, that's what I was going to say. So, okay, so the psychology, you start to do sports psychology. What led you on to the book? Did you, was there, what did, did you, is it personal experiences? Was it something in yourself that happened? Was it, what was it you noticed? Yeah, it, it was actually, because <clears throat> as a psychologist, you, you get to have con a lot of conversations, yeah. but you get to have them under extremely ideal circumstances because you've got your own little office um, where you can sit. Nobody's going to disturb you. You know, it's going to last exactly for an hour. So um, you don't particularly have to uh, protect yourself uh, too long. You know it's going to end. So you, you know you're going to be out of there. The person that you're talking to is a client. They're not a family member. So you're not desperately emotionally invested yeah. in the conversation. So you're able to hopefully maintain a degree of distance that gives you clarity. And also that person wants to be there because they're actually paying you money to yeah. be there. 
So they they're, they're seeking help. So yes, they, they they've uh, come. Decided. You know, yes, and um and and then you have a shared agenda. So while some of the conversations can seem to be quite complex or difficult, actually many of the circumstances are designed to make it an optimal situation to have a conversation in. Right. And in some ways, I had 13 years of those conversations. And if you'd said to me, are you good at conversations, same as are you good at breathing, I would have gone, yes, definitely. Yeah. But then I moved into a, um, a, a wider organization where many of those, um, m- many of those sort of ideal circumstances fell away. And I realized that actually there were many deficits in my own ability. Because to, you sort of had a, a flame put on your ideas of a conversation and what it's, uh, it suddenly showed up the holes of what... Yes, yeah. of what I couldn't yeah, do. Yeah. And, and that was really interesting for me to realize, oh, actually, you know, you're not really good at this and you're not really good at this. And can you remember what the initial sort of main problems were? The, the main problem was, the first thing was understanding that may, why people disagreed with me. Right. That was the main one because my my initial assumption is if somebody disagrees with me, first of all, they're, they're probably wrong. You know that that, that was that mm. was it. And and then worse than that, they're probably not just wrong. They're either wrong or limited in some way. You know that they couldn't have worked out exactly what I've worked out and yeah. came to the same correct conclusion as me, or they're even bad. Yeah. You know. So so that. And I remember it was a bit of a light bulb moment. And I, I was reading another book called Difficult Conversations. I went, wow, you know, it, it, it's a much more interesting question. If you can eliminate the possibility of the person that you're doing, disagreeing with being stupid yeah. or bad or misinformed even, how do you then explain disagreement without going to those very easy explanations? Yeah, And that for me, like personally, was kind of the, the so beginning. You had to analyze interest. yourself to move forward. Well, partly, partly myself, yeah. absolutely, you know, and, and partly to accept uh, my own capacity for bias or error or not being completely informed. And also, probably most importantly, my tendency to overestimate how correct I am. Right. Th- that would be number one. And then the second thing would be to, to just start to understand the, the mechanics by which human beings come to conclusions. Yeah. And how much sort of wiggle room there is for you and I to be exposed to a situation and um, and and come to quite different conclusions, but both actually reasonably reaching those conclusions. Mm. Um, so, you know, th- that was quite an eye-opener for me. There's a slight, not similar, exactly the same thing, but I was listening to Stephen Fry and he was talking about the medical profession uh-huh. and he said um, one of his, somebody he knew was a, a um, uh, been the medical profession a long time. She said one of the best bits of advice that, that her tutor taught them uh. was um, he, he said, in, 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 I want you to remember this throughout your, your medical career. He said, um, half by the time you've finished your um, medical career, yeah. and so these are students, he said, half of everything you're going to be taught until then will be proved wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so listen to people that are telling you because if enough people are saying something even if it goes against your training then maybe that's one of those things that you are wrong about but we don't know it yet and i thought well, that's so interesting well, well this is the just thing to that, make you listen yeah, to people retraining and, yeah. and and additional training is a constant thing i, I do I yeah. sort of work for a nurses union so that that is, is a lot of you know a, a big uh, thing that we offer is is training and assisting with sort of learning and development oh, stuff yeah. so 
because you do need to keep up. Yeah. It's not one of these things of yes, I've I've done all that. I've I'm done my exams. Yeah. I've you know they've yeah, yeah. got all that. It, it is yeah. a constantly right, yeah. uh, evolving um, field of study, isn't it? Mm. So, yeah. And and then to kind of, I I think ultimately where that leads to, and if I was to say one thing about all of this, it, it would be this notion that there is a, a crisis in society about how we know things, the process of coming to know. And so many of these conversations, and you know, I was in Cape Town and just spending time with my family, and some of my family are vaccinated against COVID and some are not. And, and you know, th this is a complex situation, and it, 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 I'm sure it's a common situation that in many families people have, you know, this opinion or that opinion. And the difficulty is that all of us are moral people who believe in doing the right thing, want to protect our family members, you know, want to be healthy, want to care for our kids, want to care for our parents. All of us want that. So none of us are doing what we're doing because we're going, oh, I couldn't be bothered, you know, mm. I'll just take a chance. All of us are passionate and diligent and committed. But we are deriving our conclusions from different sources of information. Yeah. And the problem is not that some of us lack logic. Yeah. That's not the problem. We are all deriving correct conclusions from the information that we have. Yeah. But for whatever reason, we've chosen different sources of information. And what we don't share in society at the moment is a mechanism by which we, by which we choose what information to trust or what information to listen to. That is the key problem with communication. And so many debates, you know, like the one we almost started getting into of, you know, is, is this whole sort of, you know, racial thing, should we all just, you know, be on a bus together and kind of, it's all okay? Or do we need to look at it in a different way? Um, you know, so much of that depends on how do we choose information and and what we don't have is we don't really have a, a sort of checklist. Well, how do you decide whether the information that you've got is? Yes. Yeah. No, no, very much so. so and it's, it's the thing with the internet. We've never had as, as much access to, to information, much easy and yeah. quick access to yeah, what, yeah. as much information as you could ever possibly want. And it's never been as confusing or as, uh, or as yes. all over the shop, all yes. over the shop. There's, there's not really, as you say, there's not really a sort of, a grounded reality for society, no. a, a caused reality. Yeah. There used to be a kind of common conception of, okay, we are, I don't know, this this group and we live here and we mostly believe this and we yes. mostly kind of do this and this is our thing and these are this is our history and this is what we kind of possibly want to go do moving forwards. Yeah. And uh, that's gone. <laughs> that and, is. and what that really was in some ways, and, and it was we weren't even making a choice about it, but we trusted you know, we trusted certain institutions. So you yeah. read certain newspapers and you trusted that information. Uh, and you, you know, maybe listened to a, 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 a religious authority and you trusted that information. You listened to a political authority and you trusted that information as well. And you never really made a choice about whether to trust them or not. You just did. And it's the, and, and the problem with having all of this information is that there's no ways that I can evaluate that kind of information. So, yeah. you know, you ask me, I've been triple vaccinated, for example, you know, and, and I trust the information that I've got. 
Do I have the expertise to genuinely read those scientific papers mm. and evaluate whether or not a, a, you know, a vaccine is the right thing to do? No ways. Yeah. I, I don't know how to do that, and I do not have the time. So, so I, it ends up being, in a way, sort of faith again in, in a it way. Is. Yeah. Yes. And so then what it is, it's a faith judgment. Yeah. So we have to get better at deciding who to trust. Yeah. It's almost taking a further step backwards. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's. It, it seems to be an issue with a lot of people is that um, is critically evaluating. I always say that you should be critically evaluating everything that you read, especially online, because yeah. you just need to be just be thinking. I always tell this to all my family and all my friends. So if you're reading something online, yep. don't necessarily take it as fact. Always be mindful of where it's from and that the person reading it has an agenda, like yeah. possibly. They, they have an angle or an agenda. Or, yeah, well, the thing that doesn't get spoken about enough, it's such a big monolithic thing right in front of you, is that even though we beat ourselves up for not understanding the other person, you go, but you have to remember that the big monster in front of you is the fact that there are big entities whose revenue is decided on keeping friction between people with the newspapers and the thing. You go, oh, Facebook, don't forget Facebook. that they're actively trying to create friction. Part of, part of Facebook's business model, the reason why what they're one of the biggest companies in the world is because they create engagement. Yes. Engagement. They but create you know, antagonism as well. That's engagement through, making you like, it's yeah. not like where well, you're getting information. No, they're trying yeah. to separate it, you. It, through, through these polarizing opinions yeah. and yeah. these conflicts. They, 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 that's how they profit. That's how, because yeah. people, because yeah. you either, you either love it and cheer it on or you go, oh, you know, and it's, um, it's like pro wrestling. They're standing on there going, this town smells like Manure, and you go, Ooh, ooh I hate you, Undertaker. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yes. Was, uh, I mean, that? That's what Trump did for four years, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. You know, he's like, You bunch of hicks. And you're like, Ooh, you, oh. Who was the, um, do you remember the comedian that Jim, um, uh, oh, God, who played Ace of Ventura? Oh, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Jim Carrey. Who was the comedian that he played? Do you remember? And he kept pretending oh, he was going to uh, die. Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. <laughs> he he was a wrestler, yeah. He yeah. did his pro wrestling, yeah. And he'd, um, so he's this comedian that's like, I think he was mental, but he would, he pretended to be a wrestler, but he'd only fight women, like and women when they thought it was real. And he'd like, anyway, so, um, because <laughs> he's he from Hollywood with it now. No, he was from Hollywood. So when he went to wrestle in like these Midwest towns, he'd be calling them hicks and like, I'm from yeah, Hollywood yeah. and you people you're in, and he did this thing <laughs> and it's on their local news channel. He'd brought a bar of soap and he was teaching them how to use soap. But he said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't forget the water because yeah, it's yeah, very yeah, important. Yeah. Just round them up. Just, <laughs> just everyone just spit it. The whole audience throwing things, yeah. just tearing their the hair out. from Hollywood brought some yeah. soap. Yeah, don't forget to use it. the water. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but but I, I, think, I, think, um, I, I think, unfortunately, we are currently, we are on the sort of the early adopters of internet nonsense. And I would say we are like, we are sat in we are sat in, the, in a cinema audience as that first image of the train rolls towards yeah. us, and we're all just running out the well, room, said, out the it, room screaming because we the, don't know what's real and what's not it's anymore. The perfect we model. Haven't, we haven't yeah. developed that thing, and, and we will. I mean, people know story structure, and the average person knows how a film works and how story structure works. Oh no, well, obviously the good guys are going to die half an hour in because the film is two and a half hours long. So. But human but, beings go but, through yeah, the same things. That, you know? So it, it's, I said, it's literally the Wild West. It's the internet. We've turned up. There's no rules, yeah. no laws. They're doing that bad thing. It's just another generation is going to have to go, right, uh, there's things now you can do this. But we're just the first generation. It's just messy. That's yeah, all it is. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I wanted to do. And that's why I called the book 10 Rules for Talking. Because it, you know, it was saying that actually we need rules. We need yeah. some kind of shared 
uh, understanding of how these things happen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from I, I had the kind of personal journey to an interest in this, but the other was the sense that this is a wild west. And, yeah. you, and you've got people who just flout rules or ignore rules or think that they can lie or, you know, not use facts yeah. or, you know, use select facts. But actually, you know, if, if we're to have a successful game of tennis, we need to agree on what the rules are. And, and if we're to have a successful conversation, yeah. we also need to agree what the rules are. Yeah. You cannot have a conversation unless you know what the rules are. And sometimes those are implicit, you know, that we just kind of understand that. But on those rare occasions, but very important occasions where conversations start to break down, this is when we need to actually impose rules. Yeah. Um, so to end then, I've got to go on a good note. So we've, we've chastised human beings. Um, What's I mean the elephant sounded the best. <laughs> well, when they were like, killing the pets. No, I mean the the, the fr- I, I think the elephants are the nicest ones. If you go, is that is? Oh, I mean, I'm basically I'll, going off. I'll t- pick up on that. No, I actually think it is topical, and you know, and and that is a story about the tragedy of not recognizing how essential society is to elephants. Yeah, they are social creatures, and yeah. they cannot exist in isolation. Yeah, and they cannot exist without tradition. And they cannot exist without the, the, the accumulated knowledge of generations. Yeah, yeah. And we're also social creatures. Yeah. We cannot exist alone. And we cannot exist without shared knowledge. Yeah. We can't just make stuff up as we go along. And that's what those little baby elephants are trying to do. Yeah. They're just right. making yeah, it up yeah, as yeah. they go along. Yeah. And so often we find ourselves in these fragmented little sections of society all by ourselves. And we try to make it up. And that doesn't work. We're social creatures. Yeah. We need each other. And that that's an optimistic thing. Because everything that we love about, you know, everything that warms your heart are connections. Yeah. Human beings, you know, and, and, and it's not an accident. You know, if you're an eagle that is completely antisocial, you would not be warmed by pictures of people hugging each other at airports. You would be warmed by other things. But, you know... We think these things are good because we are social creatures. We cannot deny that. It's essential to us. I um, it's, it's a weird, I don't think I've said this before, but so, so I had a bit of a weird life when I was doing security and things like that. I just went off on my own, did like 15 years security. And there was a moment, it was like a week, where I always felt like, um, like uh, it wasn't depression or anything like that. It's like I felt unwell and I didn't know what it was, like a bit annoyed. You know, if you've eaten badly or you haven't mm-hmm. been in the toilet mm-hmm. on a regular, sorry, on a regular, but you've, you, there's a minor stress that had built up on me mm-hmm. for years because I'd left home. I'm someone saying this, dodgy. <laughs> I'd left home, run away from home, lived in the streets, lived in cars. I just, I was a, like a lone ranger, just going around, whatever. And I just always felt like off, like something was off. And something had happened and I had a fight and another fight in the club, blah, blah. And the next day, I remember feeling a little bit better and like my maturity had suddenly kicked in and I'd suddenly see, I thought I haven't touched anybody for about four years. And I thought, I think I'm getting pleasure from the fights because I remember when I grabbed that bloke and he grabbed me, that was almost like a sadomasochism thing, but it released something because it's a proper fight. And I might've been adding things up, but I thought, when was the last time I hugged anybody? I can't remember. I went back and was like, for four years now, I haven't touched anybody. And I, that was a first. I thought, oh, wow, that, I'm, that must be a thing. Like, I haven't touched anybody. I know they did do studies with Russian children where they didn't hug them. They specifically kept them away from any hugs. Uh, somebody wrote for the magazine wrote an article about it. And 
they, they went off in all different weird directions about psychologically because they were actually brought up without hugging or touching them. They were told not to touch these kids and they did start to have all these mental things. So yeah, like saying us and the elephants, and that was just my experience of like, we're held in place by mm. things we can't see. Yes. And that yes. was like a, that was one of the big things in my life. I remember thinking, wow, I'm just not being touched. And I didn't care, but it still forced its way even to me. So, I mean, it's sort of, it's there. You yeah. might not realize it, yeah. but it's there's something yeah. there up going as a on. society, so you're glued yeah. in. There's some and, things going on. And, yeah. you know, if I can just repeat that sentence, we're held in place by things we can't see. Yeah. It's a very mm. powerful sentence. I, I will end on this, but the, um, I, I, I Oh, God, no, it was a podcast years ago. And it was a psychologist, and he was talking about the problem with um, um, uh, cosmetic surgery and how it affects other people, which then affects you. And he had likened it, and I said this on the podcast years ago. It was, um, it, they said it changes your f- f- uh, the, the minor muscles in your face that you can't see. Yeah. And the other person you speak to now is picking up on that, but mm-hmm. they don't know they're picking up on it. Mm-hmm. It then changes how they act to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You then think there's a problem, but you don't know you're picking up on it. So you get more thing. So, and she said, it's like this. And this is what I thought, oh, wow. She said, if I was to talk to your friend I'm talking to, and I'm going to tell you something bad, I've been abused or something, I was sexually abused. She said, imagine if I told you that, but the other person had sunglasses on. Mm. So you're not getting... That you know, you're not noticing the pupil changing. How often are they blinking? But your body is because it's had thousands of years to process that. Yeah. So if a friend, you wouldn't tell that to a friend who was wearing sunglasses. You'd say, you know, I can't talk to you unless you take the glasses off. And he said, but that's what with that's what um, uh, cosmetic surgery is doing. Yeah. It's not allowing the normal reaction of what's going on in your face that you can't see that makes that uh, uh, thing happen. So again, yeah, it's as you said, the things we can't see. We still got to go, we're animals. We have grown up in this yes. sense. And when you remove that, it throws things off. Back to the babies. Like, it's a perfect point of the baby elephants. They yeah. start to act rogue because yes. they haven't yes. grown up in the environment that they're used to. Yes. So I'm glad you said that about the babies. I think even the, yeah, there you go. It's a perfect example yeah. of that. Yeah. Start, and start what? skipping school, start smoking <laughs> yeah. fags around, yeah. around the back. Yeah. 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 And, you know, beating up rhinos. <laughs> yeah. 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 Get in trouble. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and what we do have as human beings is we have this ability to reflect and be conscious. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, that, that 10 rules for talking is look, we, we operate instinctively and naturally most of the time and most of the time it gets us by and that's fine but every now and again we must remember that we also have this kind of human superpower yeah. of reflection and yeah and so, so we, uh, do you want to say something no, i was gonna say I, I was gonna say so yeah so going right back to the beginning that when i said that one of the things i thought i wouldn't have need to have known about breathing and talk i mean there's not much more base things than that yeah you actually have to go no there's things that you have to auto correct because the world isn't perfect yes. and you yes. need to pull back towards yes. that mm-hmm. so you should buy the book yes um uh it's uh is it you reading it online it is yes. ah, ah. it breaks my heart when i if when everyone does the work and they do all the work the writing they sit there and they don't read the bloody thing and the worst one who was so bad i actually gave him a pass was schwarzenegger because right. when you listen to the the trailer on iTunes, he's yeah. speaking, uh. right? I thought, oh, that's strange. He's worth you know hundreds of millions. He hasn't got time because it's time. Yeah, yeah. How much money is this worth to me? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, okay, I'll give him his juice. I've always liked him. He's, 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 and he so- read it. He read it. Okay. Until you downloaded the book. 
really? He read the first and last chapter. Oh. It was so cheeky. I thought, you just for the trailer. Yeah, you just, it just, which just, I thought it was random, were they? But no, they must pick, you must be able to pick which 10 seconds you can listen to or minutes you listen to. But it was so cheeky. I thought, you know what? You done, you done me because you got me. But it doesn't work. His accent's so him and, uh, it's, that it's, so it's off. Yeah. It doesn't work. And anyway, so said your level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so listen. Thank you very much. How long did you say it took you to get here? An hour and ten minutes or whatever. Yep, yep. Oh god, there you go. Okay. Dedication. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for your pleasure. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll see Sorry. you next week. Could be larger than life